My guest for this episode is Bridget Granger. She is the CEO and founder of Supporty, a service that helps people put in consistent work towards their big goals with the help of a mutual accountability partner. We talk about why she founded the startup, the power of accountability, why she's bootstrapping it, and she shares her advice for other founders. This is Invincible Career, and I'm Larry Cornett. So welcome to the show, Bridget. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. So I'd like to start with a little bit about your career path and the journey that it took you on to launching Supporty, because you went to Georgetown University for your bachelor's, and then you went on to Harvard and got a master's from Harvard. Very impressive. So how did that kind of lead you down this path, and, and why did you make this decision? Yeah, well, a lot of people that were in my degree in undergrad were going into healthcare, either administration, um, becoming physicians, and treating patients. And I considered that, but I wasn't quite sure that that was my place on the map. And I thought that because I enjoyed things in addition to just learning the science. I like the people side and also the prevention side of healthcare. And so, um, I wanted to explore other things, and I found myself in consulting, uh, actually consulting for the Food and Drug Administration as my first job out of college. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot of skills in consulting, things like project management, which has been super valuable and, and helpful, communication, client management, relationships, all that good stuff. Um, But it really hit me when I was talking to a manager when I was at my consulting job. And I asked her, you know, what was was your passion? What kind of led you to do consulting? And she said, you know, I love the people I work with, like the team, um, but I've never really been passionate about anything. Mm. And that's when I knew it wasn't the fit for me um, because I've always been passionate about human behavior and learning what makes people tick and how we can use that for good to make ourselves do the things we want ourselves to be doing. Um, Yeah. And so that's when I decided, you know, public health really seemed to be the path that was doing that prevention work, was looking at behaviors and how can we make it easier to live, uh, to live better, more healthfully, Mm -hmm. um, less stressfully, all these things that we now have impacts on our health down the road. So Public health school is great. Um, I studied social and behavioral science and thought I would go in learning how can we teach people how to make better choices. And in some of the first few days of of public health school, you learn that telling people (laughs) to do things is is really not enough. You really have to uh, think about the whole context, things like beliefs, people's, you know, barriers, their environment where they live, work, and play, I really like that phrase, is really where health happens. And so I, I kind of gravitated towards that and wanted to understand, okay, how can we make it easier to, for me, my personal goal was to get up early every morning and run. Hmm. And actually, when I was in grad school, I had an amazing accountability partner. 
Um, we met, we ran into each other on the street and said, hey, uh, we live around the corner from each other. We run at the, at the same pace. Uh, she was actually much faster, but slowed down for me when we went <laughs> on our jogs uh, and exchanged phone numbers. And what we ended up doing was uh, a couple times a week, we would text each other and meet at what we called our corner. So it was the corner of our two streets and we would run rain or shine the dark, cold Boston mornings <laughs> yeah. and oh, yeah. we'd get out there. Yeah. And it was just, I, I was in the best shape of my life. I never missed a workout. And I think it was largely because I had that person that I knew was counting on me yeah. to show up. Yeah, I agree. And so, um, you know, I thought there was something to that. And at the same time I was learning in public health school about the power of social support how we can you know give people all the tools to be healthy but there's actually this other factor which is the social connection with other people being influenced both in the information they give in the behaviors they model in the things that they say and do um, that can really lead us to to have healthier outcomes in life better behavior and so that was when like these two things came together and um, so after public health school I got some experience working at a company that was patient education mm -hmm. and helping patients make decisions um, about health it was largely educational but it was a great way to learn about the tech side you know design user experience design design oh, cool. software yeah. to you know to meet people where they are and to make it easy and integrated into mm -hmm. a workflow uh, and then I had this still nagging in the back of my mind of this behavior and social aspect right. and so um, so I started nights and weekends just kind of putting together okay. oh the name supporty like came to me <laughs> you know uh, I was trying to explain what I was looking for because at this point I had been in a new city did not have a running buddy um, and, you know, had joined some run clubs, but was like, you know, this isn't quite as motivating as that one-on-one -on -one accountability oh, that was okay. so key yeah. in Boston. Exactly. And, um, and so, yeah, I found that the, the run club was great, but because I always knew people were going to show up. I, uh, <laughs> I was found it much easier to press the snooze button and say, okay, oh, I'll catch, okay. catch them yeah. next time. Interesting. So, um, so that's when I was like, let's see if other people are looking for our accountability partners. And that is what led me to create Supporty. And so I put a website up, put a forum up, said, would you be interested in one-on-one -on -one matching with a stranger all online? And, uh, and holding each other accountable to things. I, I'm giving a lot of health examples, but it could be, uh, we have people using Supporty for all sorts of things. So starting their own business, posting on social media every day for that business. Um, things like uh, getting to sleep early. Again, that's kind of health related. Um, Trying to write a book. Yeah. Write a book, create a that's project, a things like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that on your list? Yes, that's on my list. <laughs> oh, yeah. I probably I, oh, I need yeah. an accountability buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I make a little bit of progress, well, but not as much as I'd like. Yeah. There you go. Um, uh, the writing community is actually a great example that, of using accountability because I see that they they have a hashtag. Mm -hmm. I think it's um, National Writing Month. Oh yes, it's yeah. like Nano Rimo. Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and so I I studied. You know, what are who else is doing accountability? What are they doing right? What's working for people? And then also talking to those people who signed up on my website to say. What have you tried? What worked well? Right. What are you looking for now? 
And, uh, and I saw that there was this interest, and that is what led me to create Supporty, uh, which is a service that pairs people together one-on-one as accountability partners mm-hmm. for a week at a time. And then going from there, um, either matching with somebody new each week or continuing on um, mm. being paired up again with someone, that same buddy in the future. Right. So you have an app, right? So it's a mobile That's app right. that makes it a lot easier because I think the thing I've noticed over time is like, if it's not on a phone, I'm not going to use it. Right? Exactly. Well, that was something, again, I wanted it to be integrated into people's lives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have to kind of log into a computer yeah. or go somewhere else to, to track it, I think it could be a little uh, more challenging. Whereas if it, you have something on you all the time, that's kind of reminding you to do that thing. That's really hard for you to, to stick to consistently. Right. Uh, that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you pointed out the one-on-one because I remember when I first started, I was doing CrossFit years and years ago. Yeah. And the thing that I think that got me up every day is there was, there was one guy that we tended to pair up and lift together. Yeah, and I yeah. knew if I didn't show up, he was going to like call me and like, where are you, man? <laughs> you <know? laughs> That's it, a great accountability partner. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I've done some research on the accountability and there's like different tiers of results that you get. If you personally set a goal and say, okay, I want to accomplish this. If you go from verbally saying it to writing it down, if you set dates, like, okay, I've got to accomplish it by this date. Uh, But the highest, I think it's amazing. It goes from like 60 to 70 to almost 80% likelihood of success. If you have an individual where you make accountability check-in appointments and you say, I know I've got to check in with this person like every week or so. Uh, And then I found that even with my communities where I have things like that, people will do a ton of work like the night before they have their meeting with their buddy and (laughs) they're like, oh, I've got to get all that work done. And and so if nothing else, it kind of lights a fire to get the stuff done before you meet with your buddy. It's really interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that is... um... That is certainly something I see a lot. The people are kind of looking. Some people are self-driven, but some people are really looking for that deadline. Um, And I think also with COVID, we're seeing a lot of people who were used to seeing their coworkers every day in person and not wanting to show up at the, you know, at the meeting without having done their project. And now if they're, if they have more flexibility, that's actually been challenging and they're looking for that kind of structure to to hold them accountable so what are the things that have surprised you so i I think we go into a startup and i had a startup unfortunately mine failed but yours is still going strong which is fantastic Um, you go into it with a whole lot of kind of a vision and hypotheses and you think where things are going to go and then you get real user interaction feedback you're like oh this is completely different than I expected, or they want something very different than what I thought they'd want. What are the big surprises that you've learned along the way? Oh, so many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, where should I start? I mean, the, the biggest one, and maybe this is the myth of entrepreneurship, mm. is just how easy it is to acquire people. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, really, it has been... I would say it took years to get right. to show up on Google just to, for people to find out oh, about sure. Supporty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think that is something I tell people when they're starting a business and thinking, okay, how do I 
how do I find customers? Do I just, you know, they're working on perfecting the website. And I say, just get something up there because it takes a while to start ranking and you're going to learn as you go. So learning just honestly, the terminology that people use. Mm. So I, I look at Google Analytics. I really enjoy that because it's very data driven. And I had learned that the phrase I was using, I think it was accountability buddy, was actually it's not a common term that people search as opposed to accountability partner. And simply by changing some of my keywords, things like that, I'm able to reach people that are looking for something like supporting. Um, So, and then like the human behavior piece, just seeing what people, people do. Um, You know, when I was building the app, I just assumed, Oh, this will be super obvious. People will know, (laughs) for example, um, this is really funny, but the, the subscription, Mm-hmm. The way the subscription worked um, in the app, I didn't have it kick in until people were through their trial. But because people went into it with so many expectations about um, we're used to using trials in the way that maybe right. Netflix does. Right. They take your credit card and then you're automatically charged a few weeks later. And by making one small change like that and just making it work like how all the other things right. work that they're used to. It lowered the questions and the issue rate. It, it went away overnight, pretty oh, much. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and so, um, so definitely still learning. Definitely still surprised by some of the the expectations people go into the into the app with some of the requests I get. Um, yeah, it's it's continuous and yeah. it's um, <laughs> it's the part I love the most, honestly. Oh, cool. Because I I've always been interested in like what what people think, what people do, what motivates them and hearing from people like, Hey, um, I, I actually was matching people up a week and week and week after time. Mm. And then finally I actually had two partners right in. This is, these are in the early days saying that they really like this person that they've been matched with. And they keep saying that they would like to be rematched in the future, but they, uh, they wanted to change things up. They actually found it more motivating to have someone new each week to bring a new perspective oh, versus okay. the person you know they've known for months and months. So hmm. I think you know it might come down to personal preference, but I think accountability is still this area that's being explored, and I think right. there's probably different types of, of people and motivation within the area. Yeah, that was my, that was my next question: is like, do people tend to stay with the same partner over time because they get comfortable with each other? Or do they want, like you said, to mix it up a little bit and get a different kind of different feedback and different levels of motivation that maybe, you know, different people provide? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's been a a surprise to me too. Um, A lot of people, when I was first making the app, when I was doing those early interviews to to learn, okay, how do we design this? Mm -hmm. How do we make something that people want? And that was... um, Something that I kept hearing was it was working really well. A lot of people who are looking for this kind of thing had my experience. They had someone in the past, and then for whatever reason, it it went away, and they noticed mm. their behavior went away. So themes were like, I moved, which was my situation. Oh, okay. I moved to a different yeah. city, and so that running buddy wasn't there anymore. Um, they their partner, you know, had a life change, a baby, got married, or, you know, um, maybe their partner was the one to move away, things like that. And so once there's kind of this life event, it, 
it can throw you off course and throw the behavior off course. And then it's hard to find that new person. Um, and, and when things fizzle, okay, what do you do? How do you find that next accountability partner? But if you have someone lined up and I, I see supportive being that resource, that continuous supply of really encouraging people. Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, my wife has started <clears throat> an accountability running group, you know, speaking of Excellent. running, uh, yeah. where they, they said, okay, this is going to be the year we're going to run 2,021 miles between three of them. So it's my daughter wow. and my sister-in-law. And wow. I built a little spreadsheet for them to track their runs and all that kind of stuff and yeah. map it out. Like how many miles do we need to run every week? And it's really been hugely motivational for them. To, and Excellent. we'll be out on a Wednesday. It's like, I have to get seven miles in. I have to get seven uh, miles. <laughs> I love that. That is great. Yeah, it, it works. It absolutely works. Um, absolutely. I'd like to talk a little bit about community. So this has been an interesting trend that I've been observing over the past year, I would say. And I've been looking at this within kind of the tech world and founders. I've been looking at it from... The investor perspective and I follow a ton of investors and angel investors and they've been talking about it and it seems like the next big wave of what people think is is going to be hot now is this concept of niche communities micro communities mm-hmm. that people are getting a bit burned out on the big social media communities and thousands and thousands of people and they would rather have a niche interest community Maybe it's 50 people, maybe it's only 20, maybe it's just a handful, right? And now there are these platforms springing up that support that. And so what are you seeing in terms of kind of this desire or hunger for community, especially online because of the pandemic? I think that's driven a lot of this. Absolutely. Well, the first thing uh, that comes to my mind is this term I heard right at the turn of the new year, which is authentic. So it's... Often, and then the word mm-hmm. tech, like technology, um, great pun. And <laughs> what I love about it, um, so uh, Rebecca Bastian, she is a startup founder. She wrote the article that was in Forbes and now has become uh, a Slack community. It's it's startups that are really s- forming the community first. Mm-hmm. And then I don't want to say the business model second, but the business model is always aligned with that mission and what that community is about versus the typical um, kind of growth at all cost model that we saw from those big tech companies. And, you know, having that mission, I think attracts a certain community. And I think I have a hundred percent experienced that with supporty. And some of the things I've learned along the way, for example, is growth at all costs does not work for supporty because what we are offering is this community of people who we don't even all have the same goals, but we do have this shared commitment to mutual accountability. So I support you, you support me. And the other thing that's unique is that it's daily. So for someone looking for, you know, a check-in once a month, at least at this time, supporty is not that. We're really focused on the things you do every day. We believe that the the things you do every day matter more than the things you do once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Because that's that atomic habits, up. right? There you yeah. go. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think there might be a need for, you know, uh, infrequent accountability. And I think if that's you, you know, raise your hand, go right. into that group. Right. And then for people who this message really resonates with, so saying no to all the other kinds of accountability really allows us to focus and create a really good experience for our customers. 
So um, actually, at the, at the start of the pandemic, we were giving out support free for all healthcare workers who were going through a really tough time. And the sentiment, I know it was appreciated by the healthcare community. And we have a top, like the most people ever that have used support signed up during that time. Wow. But the, the learning there was actually that healthcare workers were super busy and super stressed <laughs> and they couldn't be really strong mutual buddies. Uh, they couldn't support their partners. And so we saw like after a few days, it just, you know, I wasn't see. working out. Okay. So I would say that, um, that community is, I think that absolutely that whole authentic idea of, you know, community being a shared mission, everybody kind of on board with this other set of values or this, uh, you know, goal that's orienting the community Mm -hmm. can be really powerful. And I think different from the growth at all cost model. Yeah. It's refreshing. Yeah. I find it very refreshing um, because I think we took, the absolute inverse approach. That's what, I think that's why my startup failed, to be honest, is I took the path of raising funding. So I raised a seed round mm-hmm. and we built the product and then tried to drive interest and engagement, the typical kind of startup stuff. Yeah. And it was really hard to build the community, as you were mentioning, and really hard to acquire users and get them comfortable with the product and, and doing things with it. And I've seen this recent flip where it's almost like the product or the startup happens as a side effect of the community. Mm. Uh, oh, I love that. I, and I yeah. saw it with Product Hunt did this, you know, a while ago. I'm seeing a lot of influencers do this where it's almost like they accidentally become successful. So they've built this huge audience. Yeah. They're like, oh, this massive audience of like 300,000 people are following me. Maybe I should do something with this. I feel like I feel accountable to them that mm-hmm. I need to build something that is useful and give back to them. So I'm seeing people building an audience and a community first with no thought of a revenue model or monetizing it or a business. And then I've been following enough of them for about five or six years now that at some point it flips and they're like, okay, now I'm big enough. All I have to do is kind of flip a switch and they, they immediately have revenue coming in, which is very impressive. So that is, I think it bodes well. I think it bodes well for the future. Absolutely. Yeah. That is a great point Um, because I'm just thinking all the people that are following that influencer, clearly there's a need, there's an interest there. And if you can find a shared need and even better, if that need can be monetized, um, you know, I think that's a great way to build a business versus the build it and they will come, which I think again, (laughs) like the stories, there are stories out there where that has happened. Yeah. But they're the exception, not the rule. I think so too. Yeah. 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 So let's talk a little bit about how you're bootstrapping supporty. So you're taking the smart approach, which that is my biggest regret is raising money. And I, I wish we had bootstrapped. Yeah. And how did you make that decision to say, I don't really want to pursue venture investment. I'd rather bootstrap this. That, you know, that has been a constant struggle being in the startup world because sure. there is so much pressure to go the venture route. Mm -hmm. And there's not a great model for bootstrapping. Uh, You look online, and I think I saw a really good quote. It's like, it's not listed as an option because so few people can really make it work. But I think it's having the right expectations of, okay, how fast can you grow? And for me, like looking at the numbers each month and saying, ooh, okay, we didn't 
go from zero to a hundred and kind of reassessing, okay, how am I going to make this work was key. So I really thought would launch on new years and put out a, you know, post and everyone would come running. Honestly, at that point, even when we launched on the app stores, uh, right at the beginning of 2020, I had a decent size uh, email list from people I'd been putting out content, blog posts, getting subscribers. And, um, but, you know, put it out there and it's like crickets. But I know. I <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I yeah, know. I, I know the feeling. <laughs> yes. Okay. I think many, many do. And yeah. I see that too with people starting and they're like, okay, how should I mm-hmm. launch? You know, getting ready for launch day. And it's like, oh man, it's not. It's not gonna. It's not gonna matter, <laughs> especially New Year's. There's so many other. Yeah, that's um, true. There's a lot of noise. There's yeah. a lot of noise at that time. So, um, but you know, I had at that point bootstrapped just out of out of my savings to build the very rough, minimal viable product for Supporty, okay. kind of based on you know some tests I had done, um, running it by some people that were on my like early you know, beta testers list. And I said, okay, let's mm-hmm. put it out there and just committing to making incremental changes based on really committing to the data, both the, the feedback I was hearing when they would write it to tech support or uh, just looking at the actual user data behind the scenes and engagement and, and retention, things like that. And, um, and so, I mean, bootstrapping, I, I was hoping by a certain point I would be completely, you know, hiring people because we're bringing in so much revenue. Right, I think right. apps require a lot of input. I mean, even yeah. if I made no feature changes to the product, I still would have to have a developer who is making the updates for, you know, the partner systems we yeah. use. So Google Cloud, <laughs> Google Play. Constant well, updates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's constant. And I, you know, that's always hard to explain to customers, like, mm-hmm. you know, why do I need to pay? A, I'm a subscription-based <laughs> app. So, right. you know, they're like, what is the subscription? So I am really accountable to the customer. I'm, right. you know, right. continually updating the app with, of course, these behind-the-scenes things. But what they really want are these feature enhancements that are mm-hmm. going to make uh, it, make it more valuable for them. Um, but, uh, but bootstrapping, so to be quite honest, I was at a point beginning of 2021 thinking, you know, maybe I should pursue ventures so that I can make mm. these great, great features that my, uh, my user base I had a small, a small loyal, um, user base. They're mm-hmm. asking for these things. And, um, and I went in and I kept hearing this kind of growth at all cost model. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. like my customers, man, the best customers are the one who are, who are ones who are finding us through our organic search. Right. Oh, interesting. And, okay. And yeah, and hearing that I just didn't think um, venture would be the right fit, saying that we're going to hit, like even if I could acquire people to download the app mm-hmm. and sign up for a subscription, I don't think it would be a good experience for the people who are matched on the platform. Mm-hmm. So at that point I said, you know, no, I think I'm going to stick to the bootstrap model and grow, let it grow organically as it has been so that we have okay. a real quality product. And that has been working. Um, and then from like a completely honest, like income perspective, I was like, well, if I, if the, the app can't support me and I want to spend right. all the revenue continually investing in the product, um, I'm going to, I'm going to work consulting and do some coaching okay. to support that. And so that's been my latest, uh, I don't want to call it pivot, but addition to, yeah. to what yeah. I'm doing with Supporty because it enables me to keep Supporty, keep Supporty going, exactly. um, keep yeah. all the equity, which is, you know, great. Um, yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. 
And I, I'm, I'm kind of experimenting with this model because, again, sure. I was talking to some other founders in the authentic community and saying, well, how are you doing this? Right. And if you said, yeah, I'm doing some consulting on the side so that yep. I don't, you know, <clears throat> drop everything. And to be quite honest, I think that's also why a lot of people don't take the entrepreneurial path. They have this bug in their mind. They, they really mm. want to one day start that thing. But it's really scary if you have bills to pay to sure, drop it sure. all. And looking back, I think a really good tip would be to, you know, dip your toe in, do like a side hustle, start it as a side hustle and a weekend right. thing, which is what I was doing for a while. Then I went full time and now I'm kind of back into the nights and weekends. Got um, it. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's okay to try something different. I do too. I I think it's, I think it's smart because I think a lot of the people that I've been watching over the years who've been able to kind of keep doing what they're doing and not have to go back to the corporate world or whatever, they've had multiple revenue streams Mm -hmm. because it's risky to have one stream. And if it cycles up and down, then it's like, okay, how do I continue to pay my AWS bill? Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, so a lot of people have done this. I mean, even 37 Signals, the Basecamp folks, they started with consulting and then they built software for themselves. And then they're like, oh, we could sell this software. And so it was a hybrid model for a long time. Oh, so I yeah. think it's totally viable. And I think it's, um, I do it too. I have multiple revenue streams. It's like, you can't have just one thing. And initially it seems like you're spreading yourself thin, but the good news is it's kind of a portfolio approach, right. which gives you right. more resilience, which is smart. Well, I really like to, um, Rand Fishkin, he, he's the yeah. uh, founder of SEO Moz. Moz right? yeah. He has a book and really talks about what he did and so smart. So they were doing consulting and then used that money to build their MVP, which right. the coolest thing is that he had this customer base already that he could use for testing, getting feedback mm-hmm, and interviewing. Mm-hmm. Cause I do think that is a tricky part, especially of startups is finding your ideal client and then, right. you know, really understanding them in depth. So if you already have them and are working with them, I, I did this all in reverse. I now have some coaching clients that, <laughs> you know, I said, you know, if we'd been working together in the beginning. I think I would have made some different decisions cause I just know them sure. now. So, so well, yeah. So what advice, I know we only have a few minutes left, but what advice would you give other founders from the lessons that you've learned? Yeah, I think uh, I have a, a bias for action. And with that comes, uh, I, don't, I don't struggle with perfectionism, but a lot, yeah. a lot of my coaching clients do. And a lot of my friends who have started, thought about starting mm. businesses have a lot of reasons why they haven't taken it off the ground yet. And I think it comes from, you know, this fear of getting it to a place where it's going to be great. And then your launch Mm -hmm. day comes and everybody shows up. And I think uh, what, what I recommend is just this kind of experimental approach, the build, measure, learn loop, just get something out, you know, do, do your best weekend effort. You know, if it takes you a couple of hours just to make something, you can always go back to it. You can always improve upon it, but the, the, by losing time and having, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and not having that immediate feedback that you can get if you get something out the door right now is, uh, is too costly. And so, you know, yeah, you're working nights and weekends, like 
put up that splash page. It can be really See ugly. See what happens. Can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can laugh at it years later like I do. I look at like some of the early stuff. I look at my website now and I'm still like, oh gosh, we have to fix this. We have to fix that. <laughs> but it's up and it's doing the thing. And right. I think, you know, I think that is a really healthy mindset to have as an entrepreneur. It's Good. just, ex- you know, have your hypothesis. Think about how you're going to test it. Be really clear about the measurements that you're going to take. Again, I kind of really like yeah. data to make my decisions. So if I see people asking a question, I know it's an issue as opposed to, I get people all the time coming up and saying like, who are not users, who mm. do not know anything about my business saying like, oh, have you thought about such and such feature? <laughs> <laughs> like, Thank you very much. That's very nice. <laughs> but I have no idea if that cool idea is going to result in a business impact that's yeah. worth the investment. Because like we said, developers, they cost a lot of money. Uh, yes. <laughs> or time is everything, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So being really smart and strategic with those bootstrap dollars is yeah. uh, is key. But it, it makes you thoughtful and strategic. And I think sometimes those constraints can make you more creative. That's true. That's true. So where can people learn more about Supporty and check it out? Yeah. You can search us on the app stores. It's Supporty with an I at the end. Uh, support with an I at the end, S-U-P-P-O-R-T-I. And we are getsupporty.com online. We have articles about things like productivity, getting a social right. support buddy, uh, downloadable. Uh, if you already have an accountability partner, we have a form that you can use with your accountability partner and kind of talk through what's your well, support cool. style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, it, it's kind of like the, the DIY paper version, which I think has plenty <laughs> of value too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fascinating learning about your journey and I'm excited that things are going so well. And I think the, the advice you shared today is going to be super helpful. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Larry. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you would like to follow upcoming releases of the show, please subscribe. And as always, I appreciate your ratings and reviews. Thank you. If you would like to learn more about Invincible Career and the podcast, you can visit InvincibleCareer.com. Until next time, I wish you the best of luck in becoming an opportunity magnet for the best things in life.